Welcome to the New Life Millbrook Weekly Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast or other resources, please visit nlmillbrook.com. Let's go ahead and do this. Father God, we just we just welcome you in this place. Holy Spirit, we are so grateful for an opportunity to, to minister and to be a part of your kingdom. God, I just thank you that as we are in this place, Father God, that you, Father God, are just going to be ministering to us. You're going to be ministering through me, Father God, in any way that you see fit. And we just thank you so much for being with us, never leaving, never forsaking, never uh, letting us just always be up to our own devices. But you intervened, and we continue to intervene. And we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Last week, Linda uh, did a fantastic job speaking, and and uh, I'm excited to to pick up kind of where she left off. We're going to overlap a little bit, um, and the you guys are like again, Acts chapter four. I know, I know, it's Acts chapter four, but there are so many nuances to what's going on in the scriptures that we really need to look into it. In Acts chapter 4 so far, we see that Peter and John get arrested for doing a horrible thing, and that horrible thing was healing a, uh, a man um, and preaching the name of Jesus, specifically the risen Lord Jesus, who the Sanhedrin hate because they don't believe that anyone can be resurrected. The Pharisees are mad because the, the people are beginning to surround Peter and John. Uh, their number has grown by 5,000, and God didn't make new people, so that means they had to come from somewhere, which means that for Peter and John's numbers to grow, somebody else's numbers had to decrease. That's where jealousy kicks in a full swing. All right, and uh, they get arrested. Uh, they were told to stop. They were told to don't do anything. They were told to, to, to let it be or else, and that or else is that we will kill you like we killed your, your Jesus a few months ago. But can I tell you, when you uh, realize that uh, he's not dead but alive, the threat of dying becomes kind of a moot point. If you have the power to take life, that's one thing. But if I have the power to raise my life back up, then the fear of the previous is not an issue. Are you with me? Okay. Uh, When I was working more hand-in-hand with the police department, uh, going into a door, um, a house was nerve-wracking. Going into a house with a bulletproof vest on, a helmet, and uh, some firepower was less nerve-wracking. There was protection. Now, this is what we're going to pick up because the disciples now, John, the apostles, uh, John and, and Peter have been released. They've been let go, and they are running back to their companions now. And we're going to pick up here in verse 23, um, and it says this, And being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priest and elders said to them. Okay, that's an important part. We don't know exactly everything that was going on, but what, they do, what we do know is they ran back and they rejoiced to tell them something. What were they rejoicing about? Were they rejoicing that they got out of jail? Were they rejoicing that they, were, they came out unscathed? Were they rejoicing of all those things? No, it says they were explaining the threats of the enemy. So when they heard this, they raised their voice to God with one accord. I love this. 
with the idea of a threat being pushed upon them, they gather around each other and begin to pray. Put your finger here, we're gonna slide over to Matthew chapter six and verse five, and it says this, and when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love standing in the streets and synagogues on the corners that they can be seen by men. But I say, when you pray, go into your own room, and when you have shut the door, pray to your heavenly Father. And you're gonna pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, it's the power, and the glory forever. Amen. This is not meant to be quoted. This is meant to be a reference point. So what we're going to see right now is since this took place, how the disciples take this model and begin to apply Jesus' model in their own prayer life. Switch back over. And they do this. Lord, you are God who made heaven and earth and the sea and all that is within them. Very similar to our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. It's interesting though, that word uh, Lord is not our normal word for Lord. In fact, that's what a, a slave would use towards their master. Everything I am, everything I have, the very breath in my chest, the heart which beats in my, in my, the breath of my lungs, the heart which beats in my chest is yours if you ask of it. This is what the disciples are opening up with when it looks to God. Their version of God is an important version of God to look at, and that is this. Everything is yours. I know that sounds trivial, but in today's world, we need to understand that everything is his. Yeah. Everything is his. There is no middle ground. Because if something is mine and it is not his, it means I have ownership of something. It means that I have control of something. It means that I am the God of something. But can I tell you, nothing you have, even the air in your lungs, is yours. Because what begins to take place is in our world is that when we lower God to a glorified Santa Claus, he comes in for our quick needs, but we lose the fact that we have submitted ourselves to him as our ruler. And the very first place that we need to go into is understanding this dichotomy that, that messes with our minds where yes, he is God our father, but yes, he is still the Lord our master. There is two in one. But here's where we lose sight. We have had for hundreds and hundreds of years, 
good Lord, honestly, if we're going to get really down to it, since the beginning of humanity and injustice when it came to slavery, with very cruel and harsh taskmasters that, were forced to, that, that would force their people group to do whatever they wanted to, however they wanted to, with, with the number one rule being fear and pain. Understanding this, that God is my Lord, but at the same time he is my Father, means this. I can submit my entirety to him without the fear that he's going to use the rod to beat me into submission. In fact, he does something else. He doesn't go and beat you into submission. He spreads his arms out for your deliverance. He is unlike any other God that has ever been named or ever will be named in the universe. Because while he is to be served, and while it is demanded to be served, he is not saying, I want you to serve me because he needs you to serve him. See, the history of the gods, lower G, looked like this. We need to serve them so they stay relevant because they don't exist. Our God says you should serve me so that you stay relevant and you continue to exist. So when I fall on my knees and I scream, Abba, Father, our Lord, my Savior, my everything... I don't do it with fear and trembling that I bring myself to him and he's going to strike me down. But I go groveling because I know I have royally screwed things up and he's the only one that can make it right. See, the disciples understood this because a couple of verses earlier, the scribes and Pharisees make this phrase, it's obvious they have been with Jesus. That phrase has plagued me now for a long time. And here's where it gets me. They have obviously been with Jesus. It wasn't because they quoted Jesus. It wasn't they have been with Jesus even because they healed the man. It was they have been with Jesus because who they were was oozing out Jesus 24-7, 365. Because Jesus could stand with boldness in the face of death. Look down the barrel and go, I'm okay. And for the first time, Peter and John did the exact same thing. And they stood with boldness because death no longer scared them. So when they stand and said, oh Lord, you are God, you who made everything on earth. I love this. It's an, it's, it, (laughs) he doesn't need to be reminded, and I know that sounds stupid, but he doesn't. I, I need to be reminded I need to remind myself sometimes because it is continually bombardment. Here's where we are. I love to watch videos. I love educational stuff. I love all that fun stuff. I love stupid stuff too, but I love it. I'm watching a, a scientist get questioned on, do you believe in God? And he makes this statement. He says two-thirds of all scientists have a relationship with a deity of some, of some sort. 
He says what they do is they Monday through Friday, they take away, they leave their, their deities at the door and focus on their, their, their task at hand. And then Saturdays or Sundays, whatever their holy day is, that they, they do it. She says to him, well, what do you believe? And he says, every deity that I've heard and every scripture that I've read is that God is both all-knowing, all-powerful, and all-good. And he uses his intellect to say, yet when a typhoon comes and when a tsunami comes and when an earthquake comes and when all these tragedies take place and these hundreds of thousands of people perish, how can I say you're all-powerful and all-good simultaneously when I see bad? Has anybody else ever wondered that context? I know I have. And what happens is, is that we begin to reason within ourselves. And again, your mind is a beautiful thing, but we, we begin to teach ourselves out of understanding that God is who God is. He is the creator of all things. He is the master of all things. I am one of the pieces of his creation, as are you. And it's the equivalent of a nail looking at the hammer in the hand of the carpenter screaming, the carpenter is evil because he's not doing it the right way. But a nail can never understand what is good and what is right. Because what is good and what is right is only dictated upon how I feel in that moment. That is a very trivial and weak view of who God is. What we have to understand is, even in my painful experiences in my flesh, he is good because he knows more than I know. In my suffering, he is made strong. See, Peter and John walk out arm in arm, hyped up and excited. They just stood up to the synagogue. They just did all their things and they're walking out. But what happens in a few months later when it doesn't work out that same way? Because right here, they start quoting Psalms chapter 2 in the middle of their prayer. It says, why does the nations rage and the people plot in vain things? The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against their Christ. For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together to do Whatever your hands and your purposes determined before to be done. Pause. This passage is quoted out of, out of Psalm chapter 2 from David. And yet again, in a few months later, when Stephen loses his life, and when the hard times begin to come upon the church that we're going to read about soon, do you know what they point back to? They point back to Psalm chapter 2. They point back to Psalm chapter 2 because when they get released and they thumb their nose in, the, in front of the leaders and when they get captivated and lose their heads off their shoulders, they have this understanding, God is God. We love this idea that why are the nations raging and our God's going to vindicate and he's going to turn it around and he's going to change everything and we may be upside down today, but tomorrow we're going to be sitting right side up and we love it all, but what happens in your minds, let me ask you this, when it doesn't 
always work out that way. The nations will forever rage against the truth of God's word. And there will be seasons, hear me out, that people, well-intended, good people, will have physical issues. They will have financial issues. And God will still be good. And this phrase right here, verse 28, to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. Man. They're quoting back to, they're remembering what took place with Herod and Pontius Pilate, and they're saying, God, that was your will. What took place against Jesus was your will. Here we are again. We have two things to weigh out. Every single thing in your life that comes up at you, God permits. There's no question about it. He permitted it to take place. Could God stop it? Absolutely he can. God can snap his fingers tomorrow and end out everything. There's this idea in our minds that there's this good versus evil, this God versus devil battle going on. But you remember when Lucifer created a revolt, God never fought. He never even got up. The angel went to Lucifer and just says, the Lord rebukes you, and he fell. There's no struggle there's no fight. So it's quite obvious that everything that comes up against you, God permitted it to come up against you. But there's a difference between God permitting it to come up against you and you accepting it as his will. Those are two different balance acts. And the only way you're going to know which way you teeter-totter is how well you know his word. Because whenever something comes up against you, did God permit? Yes. Does God want it? I need to figure that one out. Because if he doesn't want it, I can rebuke it. And I can stand up against it. And I can decree. And I can declare. And I can do all the enforcements. However, if God permits and he wants, you can scream the mountaintops. It ain't moving. And this is why relationship with our Lord, our God, our Savior is paramount. Because he permits so many things to take place. And it is our responsibility to figure out what is your will, God, and what is your way, God. Because I stand. Easy examples. You ready for this? (laughs) You're driving down the road. You... Space. Yesterday, I'll put it this way. I'll back up. Yesterday, I was at, at this time. Yesterday, I was at the beach in St. Augustine, Florida, and I'm with my kids, and I'm with uh, my fiance and her family, and we're all out there. We're having fun, and and the waves in St. Augustine are a lot different than the waves in Destin. There's legit people surfing on these big waves, but can I tell you, they looked fun. Not to surf, that'd be horrible for me, but to get in the waves and watch them crash over. You know what I'm talking about, they're fun. So we get out there. 
and I stand, and I can feel myself sliding sideways. Now, I've gained a few hundred pounds, and 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 thanks, Siri. Um, I, I have I, I have gained a few hundred pounds, and I'm sliding sideways, and so my quick-witted mind goes, well, if it's moving me, it's probably going to move my kids. And they're going sideways, laughing the entire way. The, the waves pushed them sideways. Life pushes against us sideways. But there is this moment when I watched, not that they were going sideways, but then they started sliding backwards. In that moment, I had a choice to make. In that moment, I could go, well, that's God's will. Bye, y'all. I hope, I hope it works out. Or I can go after them. Those are my options. Peace be with you. Or I go hunt them down. See, it was permitted that they would move. But it was my decision to go, what is the right thing in this situation? And the right thing was to yank them forward before they got yanked out to sea. Why? Because I'm a decent dad. And if I could do that, how much more does he put inside of you to be able to go, is this going to drag me out to sea? Or am I just having fun with life? Because as long as they're just floating sideways, everything was fine. It wasn't where they wanted to go. It wasn't the idea of where they wanted to be led to. But they were enjoying life because it was picking them up and just taking them. But the moment it went from hee hee ha ha to I'm going backwards and I make eye contact with McKenna and I go, in a matter of seconds, she's now 20 feet away. I go, I need to stop this immediately. So I swim. I yank her. The lifeguard sees it too. He's hopping down because he, he doesn't know how well I can swim. He's got to get both of us out now. So we get back to the shore. This lifeguard, golly, God bless him, probably 19 years old, solid 150 pounds soaking wet. Hey, bruh, just want you to know, bruh, that there's some rib currents, bruh. I'm like, you mean when my kid floated away? Saw it. Yeah, it was there. Um, and, and he's like, so what do you think should happen next? We're going to move down the beach a little bit. Yeah, that'd be good, bruh. That'd be good. If not, just wave at me. I can jump in and get you guys. I'm like, what? Like, okay, cool. We're going to go down. I now moved myself out because, you ready for this? I'm not that stupid to put myself and my kids in the exact same situation again and blame God for it. Are you understanding where this whole conversation is going? So I moved not far, 50 yards down. And you know what happened? We had fun. They boogie boarded. They went up and down. They kept having fun. It was a blast. But here's what you have to realize, is that not everything that is permitted to rise against you is meant for you to allow it to destroy you. Your first call is to resist, and then your second part of wisdom is to remove. Get that? 
Resist, remove. When somebody is destroying your family, resist and remove. Well, Pete, how am I supposed to do that? Can I tell you, boundaries in your relationships are imperative for your future. Fences are great for neighbors. And can I tell you, sometimes fences in your relationships with your family and your friends are just as important. Because there's always a gate. You can let people in. This is not being walled off. This is not being cold. This is not being calloused. But not everyone should have permission at any given time in their life to set up tents in your backyard. Nor should everybody at any given moment be able to tell you and dictate to your life how you need to raise your kids, how you need to speak to your husband or wife, how you should live your life, how much weight you should gain, how much weight you should lose, what they think you should do with your finances and what you should watch on TV. And what you should. Not everybody has that permission in your life. You put up those roadblocks, and if they keep hopping your fences, you remove and you relocate them far away. Unfortunately, we have begun to, to, to grasp this idea in our minds that we are the sole person that will lead them to the Lord, and if I am not in their life, they will fall apart. And that is one of the most prideful statements anybody can ever make. God will use you for his glory, but he never needs you as the only option for somebody's salvation. Because there is only one option for their salvation, and his name is Jesus, not Peter. My goal is to testify of that Jesus. But if they don't want that Jesus, and they want their own version of Jesus, and they want their God to be their friends, and their God to be their buddies, and their God to do with their Santa Claus stuff, or whatever it is, that's their freedom to have that thought all you want. But you're not going to hop my fence and tell me how to live my life. Peter and John just go through this. And this is one of the biggest questions that we have is they just go through a moment in their lives where they are now put into a spot where they are at the center of an issue at hand. And that is, are we going to stay here in Jerusalem and continue to be persecuted? Are we going to stay here in Jerusalem and be quiet or are we going to be ourselves and go somewhere else? Those are their three big options. Notice what they pray. So they're weighing out. God, you permitted us to be arrested, yet you gave us the wisdom and the words to get out. So watch the next phrase. Now look on their threats. And grant to your servants that with all boldness they will speak your word. By stretching out your hands to heal. And that signs and wonders may be done through the name of your holy servant. You know what they just prayed? Hey God, you know what just got us in trouble? Do it again. And not just to us, everybody in the room. Remember, we are praying in one accord and with one mind. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Right here. 
what they're looking at is going, how are things done in heaven? God, permit us to have the boldness, the power, and the ability to transform earth into what heaven is supposed to look like. Is it going to get us in trouble? Yes! Give us boldness for that time, God. Let us stand before these men who are going to threaten us and curse us and persecute us. And let us have the words to be bold and to speak the truth just like we just did. Give us more chances to get in trouble for your kingdom. (laughs) We don't pray those prayers anymore. Actually, I think a lot of people do. I take that back. There seems to be two main type of people groups that make this prayer or not make this prayer. Type A, God, let us get through life and have nothing shining upon us. Let just like, I get close to a coworker and they just feel your presence, and then they just happen to like wake up one morning and go, I think I'll go to some church. And they just show up and they go, you're here too. And I go, shh, and they go, shh. And then we all worship quietly. God, let us just live life quiet. Then there seems to be this other group of people. Give us boldness, let us pray, let's lay hands on the sick. I want to, I want to lay hands on somebody. I want to see them. I, I want to do this. And this is a... Equally, and hear me out, I have been guilty of this, equally wrong group. Because I want to lay hands on people and watch them get healed, and I want them to go, you just healed me. Because I, I, I want somebody to come to me and be like, your message changed my life. When you were bold. Because I want to go through Walmart and everyone stop and go, what did you just do? And I'll be like, yeah, I just pulled that person out of a wheelchair. You know why? Because I deal with pride. A lot of times we want to mask our pride with spirituality. But how often do I stand here and go, God, Grant EJ the ability to do the unthinkable and let me be unknown. I just want your will to be done. And how much more is it, God, I just want to do this and I just want to do that and I want to travel and I want to minister and I want to change the world and I want to be on stages and I want to just be like boom, 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 boom and watch people drop and I want to take my coat off and throw it in the crowd and watch them fall apart and, and, I, and, I, and I want to do this and I want to, for your name though, it's for your name, God. And he's like, that's nothing to do with my name. Sure, people would get healed and people may say a prayer, but Pete, your heart is about you, not about me. We watch um, musicians get on stage and there, there, there are tens of thousands of people screaming and singing and doing their things and we're like, I just... 
Imagine if somebody would get up there and preach the gospel and they are doing the same thing. But you know, when we say that, we imagine us preaching the gospel and them doing the same thing. And it's a heart check time for a lot of times for me when I go, what is the motivation of my heart? Is it to see God's will being done as my number one and only priority? Or is it, I kind of want to have some, some new followers and be famous and to have VIP access and have all those cool things and, and everyone think that I've been with God so much so that I have his powers now. If I spend time with Jesus, if I could spend time with Jesus, if I pray harder, if I read harder, if I fast harder, then I will grant it upon me, endowed me with his powers. You know, like we're, 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 we're putting on a, um, the green lantern ring or whatever it is, and we're trying to be a superhero. No. The idea is this. Not my will, which is full of pride, which I guess I'm the only one, which is full of himself being magnified. Y'all got to remember something. I grew up in church. And I don't know if y'all remember this, but y'all remember in the 80s and the 90s when being a traveling evangelist meant you had a, your own private plane and limos and everything else? And, and, and you had, what was his name who was throwing his coat on people? Um, Benny Hinn and, and uh, all kinds. You, you, it was... It was magnified. Our youth group, they'd put in the old VHS tapes. You too can do this as if it was a, a army recruiting video. If you fast, if you pray, if you read, if you stay pure, you too can be just like this. And I'm like, sign me up. <laughs> Spiritual boot camp week. And then they would like send us out into the streets to go pray for people and they would watch to see who would get healed and you've got the power and you don't have the power and we're going to promote you up. That, that was what the church was doing. It was finding who was special so we could market them for more people. Who could be the funniest on stage? Who could be the loudest on stage? Who could have a panic attack? You know, I'm like, like they're, they're, you, you preach, it's only Holy Spirit when you, when you can't get the words out. Who would sweat? Who was crazy? And it, it turned into what we have today in church. Who will entertain me and fill my seats? I will promote him or her. The apostles here go, God, let us be punished for your glory's sake. Yeah, that doesn't sound fun. And you see this take place in their life in verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled was shaken. Because this is an unconventional prayer. Let us be one together and one mind, and one heart, and one, one, uh, one soul, praying that God's will be done, and that will may mean I may do something that gets me in trouble and isolated from my friends and family. So be it. Glory to God. Just notice, I, I, I don't know what, what, if, if there was a massive earthquake I don't know if, if the room just had a, a little seismic shift. But one thing I do know 
is that matter responded when the supernatural came in. When Holy Spirit came into that room, the, the deadness of the brick and mortar responded to his presence. And it was shaken. You know what the scary part of that story is, Nathan? Is that they were shaken but never changed. The walls stayed exactly the same. They were just shaken one time. And what I see continually taking place in people's lives is they will have a legitimate and genuine experience with God where their lives are shaken at the altar before the fire of the holy God and they will stand up and they will go to work on Monday and somebody will go, how was your week? And they go, meh, it was fine. You were shaken, but you were never changed. It's the 007 drink. I, I want my martini shaken, not stirred for movement. I want it to be cha- shaken for a second and settled back down. God, just give me a moment of, of, of tingles and goosebumps. Knock me on the floor if you want to, God. I will run around the building and scream, but as soon as I get done, I want to go back to my normal self. I want to have a spiritual encounter with no life change. I want to sit there and go, yes, that was great on Sunday, but Monday through Saturday, it's all me, dude. Grant me the love of your peace and the arms wrapped around me, and I want to cry and weep when EJ sings, and yes, and amen. I'm going to wipe my eyes and go, well, that was fun. Sunday mornings are not meant to be an amusement ride of emotion so that you get off the change and keep going back to your normal uh, scheduled broadcast. We were in the pool and we were having these competitions and the competitions go like, it starts off, who can swim the furthest underwater? And then we'd go front and back, okay, that was easy. And and then it goes, who can do the most uh, front flips underwater? consecutively without popping up. You know, I'm about to hit 40, and that's, that number's changed dramatically because on the fourth one I stood up and the entire world was spinning while my daughter's just yink, 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 yink. And I went, whoo, give me a second, give me a second, and then it went back to normal, and then I went back to flipping again to try it again. And then give me a second, give me a second, and this is our lives. God, shake us, shake us, shake us. Give me a second. I'm going to go back to my normal life. Make me upside down. Flip me around for for just for a little bit of time because I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to have anybody look at me weird. I don't want to have any part of my life uncomfortably changed. Just leave me alone except for right here. And here's what we do now. You ready for this? To make that narrative work, we shift the pressure now to her. Because if you don't make it happen right the way that I expect to be shaken, you're not doing your job. It takes our eyes off of, I'm going to fall down before a holy God and worship him with my brothers and sisters into, I'm here for an exciting ride, EJ, make it happen. Give me a quick encounter, and then I want to go back to my life. Pete made me laugh. Maybe put a little bit of a twist on my heart for a second, but not too much. Just a, ooh, that's a good one-liner. And then untwist so that I can go back to my life. This is what church has become. 
I'm not going to give God my life. You've got two hours and go. Never mind, 90 minutes. I don't have two hours. And you wonder why we don't see this stuff anymore. The disciples sold everything they are, who they were to the cause of the cross of Jesus to give them everything. My time, my resources, my energy, my life, my reputation, whatever you want, God, your will be done. Now, 90 minutes make me happy. But I don't want anything to change. To a place now when we do salvation calls for somebody's entire soul to be changed and radically transformed, I want everyone to bow their heads and close their eyes and just quickly pop your hand up because we don't want you to be embarrassed that you're now saved. <laughs> what are we doing? Come on. Come on. Verse 32. Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Meaning somebody stood up and made this prayer and every one of them said, me too. Me too. What he said, I want that too, God. Sign me up. Not my life, your, 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 your will. I'll, I'll, I will take boldness I will take persecution, I will take miracles, I will do whatever it is, me too. Sign me up. Every single person, I, went, eh, I don't want some of it, I want part of it. I like that one cool part about having boldness, but I don't want to lay hands on anybody. I, I, I like the idea of being my shadow dropping and people getting healed, but I don't want to be persecuted. They said, one heart and one soul. Ready? My mind and my heart both agree on the same thing at this one moment. A lot of times that's not the case, though, Shonda. A lot of times my heart says yes, but my mind goes, mm, you don't want that, dude. That's crazy. Thinking, no, I'm so sold in. Everything I am is investing into this move. Neither did anyone say that anything that he possessed is his own, but they have all things in common. You know the difference between communism and the early church? They sold everything they had, extra lands, extra houses, whatever it was, they put it at the apostles' feet, and the apostles distributed it out to people who had need. You know the difference is between that and communism? Communism says whatever you have is mine, is ours. The church mindset here is everything I have is yours. One demands I will take it by force. The other says, are you willing to give because it's in your heart to see lives change? In this set setting, we see three crazy things. We see a bold prayer meeting. We see a unification of a church. And we see a generosity that you cannot see again. And short, we'll get into it later on. People began taking advantage of this. And this is where 1 Timothy steps in, and Paul does in 1 Timothy. And we start seeing how they put regulations on who gives what, when, and where. We'll go through that another day because that's not fun. But what we have is, is this. I can stand here 
and talk about you praying, and you should pray more, and you should pray more, and you should pray more, and I can beat you over the head, and I can manipulate you into praying more. I can stand up, talk about you should be more unified, and stop having gossip, and be at church, and do all those things, and I can do all of the, 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 the powerful tactics, and I can stand up here and say you should give more, because you don't give enough, and, and I can use any one of these three sticks to beat you over the head like many churches have done time and time again. But here, here's, here's a quick analogy, and this, this hit me on the last song, and that is this. I can use manipulation tactics, and I can get a little bit of splash out of you. Every once in a while, I can beat you over the head and get extra $5 for you to give to a, to, um, um, to, to a good cause or to youth camp or whatever it is. And, and I, can, I can talk about how much you should be at church and how much you need to be in church and, and make you feel bad that if you don't go to church, then the devil's going to get you and your kids and I can get a little bit of a splash out of you. But you know what's crazy is that eventually uh, uh, my rocks stop having the same effect. I got a little bit out of you, but eventually it just stops. The difference here is found right here in this passage, and that is this is that the Holy Spirit filled them when they agreed. The difference for me is this, is I can get something out of you, but the difference between me and the Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit continues to pour into you so that he doesn't have to manipulate you to get something out of you. It pours out of you. It's an overflowing of who he is inside of you. My rocks are trying to splash something out while the Holy Spirit goes, I don't need your splash. I can pour into you. This is what the filling of the Holy Spirit does, is it overflows out of you into everything else that's needed. Manipulation tactics will be used for a little bit, but eventually you just stop attending, you stop going, you stop connecting, you tune it out. But it's time that we ask for a feeling of the Holy Spirit again. We're in Acts chapter 4. And in those four chapters, there are three occasions where Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit. And we think one time at youth camp in 1985 was enough. A request of his feeling is also a request of my life to be changed. And I wonder, Pastor Marsha, if that's why we don't see a true feeling of the Holy Spirit like they used to see, because it's with conditions. There were no conditions here. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with your power and might. As long as we don't lose our lives, Fill us with your power, O Holy Spirit, and might. As long as we don't have people talk about us. Fill us, Holy Spirit, with your power and might. As long as we're not that church. Fill us, Holy Spirit. As long as we don't have to have any real life change. I want peace. I want love. I want joy. But, but I don't want to have anything else bad taken away from me either. Fill us, Holy Spirit. I give you 96% of my life, but this area don't touch. Whoop, guess it didn't work. I asked. 
And this is where we have to do a gut check time, is that in Acts chapter 4, they devoted everything that they were to the cause of the kingdom. Their lives, their words, their actions, their income, and their relationship were all stuck on the altar and says, whatever you want, God, your will be done. We don't see this anymore. And it's a, it's a weird spot to be in. Because I can't judge who does what, when, and where. It's not my place. That's far be it. I'm not going to look at uh, a Randy and say, you got two, but one is wrong. Like that. That's not my call. It's not, it's not my decision to make on where your heart is. But you know. And if you want to lie to yourself, God knows my heart. He gets my, I get distracted sometimes. I just forget. I think you, you asked that question. Where is my heart level at? He wants a relationship with you, not because he is lonely and needs relationship. He wants to be your Lord and Savior because you desperately need it. Get out of the mindset that God needs my prayer and my affection. He needs nothing you have. Nothing. My righteousness in my best day is filthy rags to him. I need to pray. I need to worship. I need to submit because I am full of issues and I will take a holy thing such as a miracle and make it prideful about me. That's how messed up we are as humans. Not my will, God, but yours be done. And if that means that I'm standing here before you, glory to God. If that means that I get put into prison, glory to God. If that means that I get promoted at work, glory to God. Does that mean I got relocated to some other nation? Glory to God. Does that mean that everything that I have and my health is great? Glory to God. Does that mean that I struggle with health issues and I continually stand and stand firm on God's will? Then glory to God. Whatever knocks on my door, God, I give you praise and I give you glory because either A, you're bringing something into my life that I want, or B, you're entrusting me with power to resist the devil and watch him flee. Glory to God. But today you make that call. I'm not going to do a, if you're with me, raise your hand and put pressure on you. And if you want to give your life to God wholly, put your hands up. No, not doing any of that today. This is a time where you, in your car, with your spouse, as a family, you make the call. And I go back to what Joshua says. You pick your gods. You do what you want. As for me, and my house. In other words, I've had a conversation with my wife and my kids. This is what we're doing. We're all in agreement. We will serve the Lord. And give it all. This church is generous with your time. This church is generous with your resources. This church is generous in your prayers. And this church has, has for years 
chased after God's move. There's no beating up. This message is not meant to hurt or offend anybody. It's meant to stir some people up. It's meant to have an awakening inside going, do I just want to be shaken or am I willing for life change? What am I bringing to the altar on Sundays? When we gather together, who am I really worshiping? When I cry out to God, am I God? Am I really praying for my will to be done? Have I given every aspect of my life to God? Take the house, take the car, take the health, take the keys, take the, the money, take, take whatever you want, God. I entrust it all with you. Well, Heavenly Father, now that I've made everyone angry, I thank you that I'm currently still alive. And I just uh, am in awe of your goodness through my life. God, you've been so good, and I have been so horrible in so many areas of my life, and this is not self-deprecating. It's a fact that you are so much better than I ever could become. Thank you for allowing me to worship you with everything that I am. I may not be there yet, God, but I'm every day taking a step closer towards you. I know you're not asking for perfection, but every day I want progress towards you, deeper and deeper. And every time you say, hey, Pete, what about this? I say, yes, God. Hey, Pete, what about that? I say, yes, God. I submit my life, my job, my health, my relationships, everything I am, all that I am on the altar of you. Do what you will with my life. It's all yours, God. In Jesus' name, amen. I promise next week we'll be in chapter five. Thank you for listening to our podcast. Have a great week.